Hello everyone, Brian here. If you'd like to support the Head Games Podcast, I encourage you to check out our Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash headgamespodcast, game spelled G-A-M-S, of course. There's all kinds of exclusive content and perks waiting for you over there, so please go ahead and check us out, and thank you as always for your support. everyone, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Head Games Podcast. I am your host, Brian Gottlieb, and here with me as always is my co-host, Mr. Jonathan Carter. Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing on this lovely October week? I'm great because it is October. The fall is awesome. The weather's not hot anymore. Halloween is everywhere in the U.S. It's great. Yeah, fall's fantastic. I mean, the weather out here in Seattle has been just impeccable, like 65 degrees every day, mm-hmm. mostly sunny. Hoodie weather. To see some, oh, yeah, hoodie weather, the best weather. <laughs> Starting to see some changing leaves and just like general fall air. I love it. Fall's one of my favorite times of the year. It, it's competing with spring, summer, and fall, to be honest with you, for one of my top <laughs> slots. So. <laughs> Damn. A little positivity to start the podcast this week. All the seasons are great in their own way. Yeah, I put winter above summer for sure, but I just hate the heat. So You know, I, I've often felt the same, but now living in Seattle, the summers were, I mean, at least this past summer was so pleasant. It was just 80 and sunny and I live near a lake. So I was out on the lake a lot mm. on sup boards, like having a really great time on the water. So usually I'd be with you and summer would be at the bottom of my rankings, but summers in Seattle are absolutely great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. You know what New York summers are like. DCs are pretty similar. So, Right. It's either extremely hot or like raining. <laughs> You're swimming <laughs> through air. Much. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's enough weather talk to start the podcast. I know everyone's favorite talk is, is weather talk. <laughs> <laughs> we actually get into our topics. And, and I want to check in a little bit on our discussion from the last couple weeks. Obviously, we have been talking about sleep. We are going to continue talking about sleep today. It's a topic just absolutely loaded, so much to discuss. And I know you, Jonathan, are about to do an upload over on our Patreon page. Is that correct? Yeah, by the time this podcast is aired, like so by the time you're listening to me, uh, if you hop onto the Patreon, I will have put up a video explaining the routine that I use before going to sleep to help me transition from whatever I was doing that day day into trying to get the best possible sleep that night. And it's what I've figured out works for me over the years. And maybe the same routine works for you. Maybe it doesn't, but it at least will get you thinking about how I approach sleep. I'm looking forward to checking that out. I think the vlogging over on the Patreon site, we've only done it. This will be only the second time we've done it now. But it's a cool way to just get out quick snippets about how we've taken on the things we're learning over the course of head games. And and I always like to hear what you're doing in your routine. Probably will disregard a lot of it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I did try this week. I'll be honest with you. We, we talked about my issues with sleep. I openly admitted that a lot of them are of my own making and I do a poor job of setting myself up for successful sleep. But a few times this week, not every time, I put the iPad away and I realized I was tired and I said, okay, me, it's time to go to sleep now. And I did so and felt generally rested. I don't know that I felt more rested than my usual approach, but (laughs) in general, I, I had a good week of sleep, so I have nothing to complain about as far as sleep goes. But I also recognize that my sleep situation is unique and probably pretty well set up for success. So it's yeah. a little easier for me. So you'll be able to listen to my routine. And I hope everyone realizes by now this, that just because I say these things and I try to do them as well as possible that I'm not perfect either. Like there's definitely nights where I fall asleep on the couch like watching Twitch or something. And then it takes me waking up and realizing that I'm struck, like, I don't even remember what happened for the last 10 minutes and I'm not actually watching what I'm trying to watch. Like, hey, just go to sleep, stupid. You're, you're tired. Yeah, that's my favorite thing we do is you're just <laughs> pretending like you're still participating in whatever yeah. activity you were engaged in. Meanwhile, you're just actually completely zonked out. Yeah, your body decided a long time ago that it's not happening. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to that upload. I will check it out. One more point I wanted to touch on. I mentioned, I can't recall if it was in the last podcast or two podcasts ago. I I mentioned I've 
been doing more yoga recently mm. and kind of praising introducing some yoga into my life. I continue to do yoga. I'm doing a good job of doing it semi-regularly. So people have been asking me either in the, the Discord or via Twitter where I get my yoga routines. And I think people have the impression that yoga is something you have to do in a yoga studio and <laughs> classes are expensive. And my experience has been very different from that. I use a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Yoga with Adrian. Adrian does not need me to plug her. She is huge. She has well over a million subscribers and she's doing a great job, you know, furthering her business on her own, but I'll still give a plug. Her YouTube site is fantastic. She has all kinds of routines, no matter what your goal is with yoga, no matter how you want to approach yoga. If you're a beginner, intermediate, advanced, she caters to all of those audiences. She really does a fantastic job just called Yoga with Adrian on YouTube. Like I said, she's very popular. Check it out. And I hope you can find a routine that works for you there. I know I have, and I've, I've really enjoyed her site for years. So I'm happy to just throw a plug there and hope to bring some new fans her way. Just a truly fantastic site. I can't recommend it enough. And she does a great job too of being reverent for her practice. She really respects yoga and believes in what it can do for you without crossing into that kind of gray area where I feel like you've almost embraced yoga too hard and mm. you're kind of giving me the heart cell. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like it's, it starts bordering into like homeopathic remedies and things like that. I never feel like she's crossing that line. She believes in what she does, but she's very cognizant of limitations and the real world. And I, I truly appreciate that. Right. And for anyone who's, who's trying yoga out, like just be aware that you're not going to be comfortable in some of the positions the first few times you try it. Lean into that discomfort because the, the benefits you get from it are awesome. Uh, we talked about them on a previous cast, but like, there's a reason why Brian's saying he does it. I, I definitely do yoga as a form of recovery. Like lean into the the discomfort is a is a big part of yoga. It's so funny too because the things that sometimes cause discomfort are just not what you would expect at all. You're like, oh, I'm <laughs> sitting on the ground raising my hands above my head. This is excruciating. Why is this so yeah. difficult for me? Right. Uh, but <laughs> yoga is interesting that way. It forces you to use parts of your body that you don't often use. And that's one of the things I appreciate about it for sure. Okay. Again, I have said my piece on yoga. Somehow we've come back to this topic twice now. <laughs> I'm cool with it though. Like I said, it won't it's be the something last I really enjoy. Yeah. We'll mention it again. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely circle back around maybe in longer form even, but yeah. I do want to get back to our main topic for this week. And it continues to be sleep. We're also going to talk some nutrition this week. I know when we did our poll on this topic, it was presented to you as sleep and nutrition. We're getting there. We're going to talk a little nutrition, but we want to clean up our sleep topic. And that involves checking in on a couple things we discussed last week. The first of which is my crazy idea that maybe it's possible that you can do some learning while you're asleep by either listening to audio or I guess that's probably the only way you can theoretically do some learning. And right. I think, Jonathan, you've done some research to let me know if I am completely out of my mind and this is just not viable. Yeah, some, so I've done some reading. I've also done more logicking it out, like outside of the pressures of being recorded when, when asked for an answer. And I had some friends talking to me about this too. I am in a say no. I, I think what could be happening if if you wake up the next day and you feel like you know this stuff or you're on a like taking a test and you think you know this stuff because um, in your example, correct me if I'm wrong, you said that you recorded like the short form notes and then you played that back to yourself. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Um, I had a friend tell me she did the same thing at times too. I think your act of creating that outline and potentially even verbalizing all of it is likely what led to the fact that you memorized it and the listening during your sleep like even if you remember listening it could be when we talked about stages of sleep how like stage one and two you're still kind of awake and you can right. you can be aware i think what's happening is best case which is also kind of bad is you're just keeping yourself in that level of sleep so you're not getting true rest restful restorative sleep and you are in fact listening worst case is in terms of learning like you're just not listening to it but you're actually getting good sleep so i think that 
the act of creating that recording might be really useful for, for memory. There's all sorts of research to suggest that mul- like multimodal examples of, of learning information like that is useful, but I don't think you're picking it up in your sleep. Okay. I accept that. And I, I totally believe that. I think there's probably like some benefits that I was picking up from it. Like you said, either in recording the material or just times where like, okay, I'm now waking up from my sleep and the audio is already there. I have now started my (laughs) day already listening to myself. So it's kind of just like ingrained into my routine. I can't be like, oh, it's time to listen to myself talk. It's just already playing in my ears. Mm. And also, you know, I would make these recordings. I mentioned listening to it while I sleep, but that wasn't the only use I had for it. I would go running and listen to my recordings and and just really throughout my day, make sure they were part of everything I was doing. So maybe that's a more fair assessment of exactly where I was getting the benefit from rather than it's magically coming to me while I sleep and I've hacked my body to do two <laughs> things at once. Yeah. And I, I think that is a an effective strategy for some learning for some people. My caution would be that the risk of trying to <laughs> absorb it in your sleep is you might just be impacting your sleep quality and stick right. to doing it outside of those hours. Right. Well, as we know, I sleep with the television on anyway. So if I'm <laughs> going to do that, I may as well just listen to myself do these notes instead, right? What's what's the difference there? Sure. <laughs> I'm trying to get Jonathan to cave to my horrible habits. He did a little tiny bit there. He almost gave me a pass. I know he's still cringing on the inside though, as yeah. I describe my sleep schedule. Um, that's okay. Okay. So there's one more point we wanted to check in on that we discussed, and that was talking about the effect of basically prescribe drugs on sleeping. Do you have any information you want to share as far as that goes? Yeah. So my findings were that it's pretty varied. Different drugs have different effects on, it looked like the largest impact was REM sleep. So this is one, a thousand percent get your medical professional to to figure out what's right for you. Um, th- there's a reason why dosing for some sleep aid is not long-term because in the short term, it helps you figure out like, or your body get used to falling asleep. Sometimes it reduces REM. Sometimes there's no change. Sometimes it like removes REM entirely. And we know that like REM sleep has a bunch of restorative functions. So what I'm going to say about prescription drugs is they are prescribed for a reason. And if you are not being prescribed to them, don't use them because you don't know what it could be doing to your sleep. I think that's excellent advice. And I don't want to delve particularly deep in the topic for that reason. This is really more the realm of a medical professional, you know, just a point of interest that came up as we were discussing. I'm glad you got a little clarification for me, uh, but I'm happy to just have set our piece on the topic and, and let it be handled by the professionals. Agreed. So now to get into some new ground that we want to talk about. We talked obviously a lot about sleep last week. We covered all means of heading to sleep, optimizing sleep, the effects of sleep deprivation, so on and so forth. But one thing we did not really touch on is how to assess your sleep. Mm -hmm. How do you know if the sleep you are currently getting, if the way you are approaching sleep is working for you. It, it seems like a very, very difficult thing to analyze. I, I don't wake up and I don't have like an energy meter. I get the check where saying, oh, look, I've recharged to 97% today. I did yeah. a great job sleeping. Uh, it, it's a really kind of nebulous assessment to make. How good am I at sleeping? But I think you're going to tell us maybe there's some stuff we can do to really understand more about our sleep. Yeah, there are a bunch of questions over on our Discord about how do I figure out that these changes I'm making? Because a lot of our listeners actually like took last, last week's episode and ran with it and started changing their sleep. And that's awesome. Yeah. Can I just say it's amazing the response we get? And it, it's so quickly. People, I feel like our listeners, they absorb an episode of Head Games and they are immediately anxious to say, okay, let me see what I can do with this information. Let me see how I can have it affect my life. Yeah. And it's so awesome to see so many people taking improving themselves so seriously. Right, which makes me very very careful with what I'm putting out. (laughs) As it should, absolutely. Um, So yeah, a lot of people were saying they figured out the duration, maybe a little bit of setting up their environment, but they were curious about how can they measure whether or not the sleep they're getting is quality, it's doing anything for you. So 
I looked at, there's some guidelines from the National Sleep Foundation and they have four guidelines for quality sleep and they're pretty easy to check in on. So, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here because I imagine those people talk about sleep even more than we have. So, their four guidelines for characteristics of quality sleep are number one, that it doesn't take you more than 30 minutes to fall asleep. So, that is you lay in bed with the intention to fall asleep. This isn't like Brian sitting on his iPad and then he's on his iPad for an hour and a half like, and then he falls asleep after that. It's saying like, I make the intention to sleep, 30 minutes elapse and before that 30 minutes, I'm asleep. Then that's one measure of quality. You don't wake up more than once during the night. So, if you, if you have to wake up to go to the bathroom once or like you wake up randomly and you flip around, that's fine. But when you do wake up, the third characteristic is that you're not awake for more than 20 minutes. So, if you wake up to go to the bathroom quick, you go back to bed, boom, you're asleep. Or you flip around or you take a sip of water or whatever it is, you are quickly back asleep, no more than 20 minutes. And finally, at least 85% of the time that you are in your bed, you're sleeping. And that goes back to, and I feel so validated in saying, like, your bed is for sleep. So, if you are in your bed, 85% of the time you're in it should be sleeping. And so, if you can characterize your sleep by those four qualities, your sleep, according to the people who are all about sleep, is pretty good. Jonathan, I failed every single one of these four benchmarks of good sleep. Uh, and I, I'm really reconsidering my approach to sleep right now. I, I thought I was good at sleeping. I didn't know this was a huge weakness in in my life. Yeah, I, I mean, 30 minutes to fall asleep, it, it's just, I. there are times when I spend hours trying to fall asleep, unfortunately. One wake up, absolutely not. I unfortunately my dog is getting older now he is having a hard time sleeping through the night sometimes mm. he just wants to squeak at me and wants to be pet in the middle of the night i'm sure parents are laughing at me right now <laughs> i know you, i know you all have it so much worse but I, I you know i care about him and he's uncomfortable and he's got bad arthritis so i check in on him and see that he's doing okay so that's a failure not awake for more than 30 minutes after i wake up uh, sometimes i just start doing work in the middle of the night i'm like well looks like i'm up now i may as well do something do you get up or? I'll do it from bed. I mean, you oh, know, okay. a lot of my work is on my phone. So right, I'll right. just lay in bed doing work. And there's that. And then 85% of time in bed. I, I mean, it's not like I use my bed as a place for entertainment. And generally, I, I'm there with the idea of I'm going to go to sleep now. It's just that it takes so long that I, I don't think there's any way I hit that 85% threshold. Mm. Yeah, so like we're talking gold standard here. Doesn't mean your life mm. is over. Because like I, I have cats. I, there are definitely nights where they get in the way of me waking up only once. Mm -hmm. If left to my own volition, I think I, depending on how well I did at stopping drinking liquid prior to bed, I'll usually wake up once to go to the bathroom quick and then I'll fall right back asleep. But there are nights where my cat Ponyo, like her way of telling us that she wants to lay down between us is she like walks all over us kind of like a goat on the side of a mountain. She just steps in like her tiny paws hits you in like pressure points and you wake up and you can't control that similar with your dog. So, what's important to know is it is affecting the quality of that night's rest, but it's not like we're going to be able to tell our pets not to wake us up. And I imagine, right. yeah, for the parents listening, I, I, it's probably like you, they can, they can hear you and, and understand what you're saying as little humans, but I doubt that that's an effective strategy. I'm sure they still wake you up. Right. You're not going to talk them out of waking up, waking up in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, pets are simultaneously the best and worst thing on the planet. You, yeah. you want to do so much for them and they complicate things so much, but we love them and, and we definitely embrace that fact. You know, I think these metrics are, are really nice as a way to be like, well, is there something I can improve on? I am not completely crestfallen because I have failed most of these first right. steps. Like I said, I have some flexibility in my sleep patterns and I'm able to exploit that to generally stay pretty well rested most of the time. I, I think my sleep is at a good place right now. As we discussed last week, there's been times in my life where it was not in a mm -hmm. good place. I'm glad things have changed from that point. Yeah, and the, and the bit you said about getting up or, or, or rather waking up because you don't actually get up, you stay in your bed. 
maybe you should reconsider that. But when you wake up and you note that you're not going to be able to fall back asleep and you start doing work, something I do recommend is whether it's when you're first trying to fall asleep or maybe it's in the middle of the night and you get up and you're noticing that you're awake for 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, and it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to fall asleep, just get up, get out of bed, go do something, like whether it's work or something that I've noticed helps is if you just have a journal or notebook to to like jot everything down, because sometimes we just have these nagging thoughts on our head of either stuff we have to do the next day or a project, Mm. something like that. And like that thought bouncing around your head just doesn't let you sleep. Sometimes the act of putting it like pen to paper and getting it out of your head works. But either way, like just get up, do something and then try again because just laying in there and stewing and not actually falling asleep isn't really doing anything for you. This is a really nice point to call back to our motivation episode. I talked a lot in that episode about my own issues with procrastination. And one of the ways my procrastination will manifest is that at night, rather (laughs) than doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing, I will sit there and think, man, I really should have done that thing I'm supposed to be doing, or I really have to do that thing first thing in the morning. If you recall on that episode, I mentioned one of the best ways I found to fight procrastination is to just do anything, anything whatsoever towards my my task, put down a heading on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, you're discussing like making lists about what you have to get done that day. I have found that I have less of those type of thoughts if I've taken this step I'm describing. If I've started the project I needed to do, even if it's as little as putting the title out there on a piece of paper and, and that's all I've done, at least I have that start now. And something about that psychologically eases the kind of nagging thoughts and pressure I often have when I'm in that situation of having a task to do the next day. Yeah, makes total sense. So beyond these four factors we can check in for quality of sleep, are there any other metrics we should be looking at in terms of how deeply we're falling asleep? Any other feedback we can get from other places? Yeah, if you really want to nerd out for a second, or rather, I guess, listen to me nerd out, (laughs) we can use biofeedback, which biofeedback is just a device that we can look at that tells us stuff about our body. So like a thermometer is the simplest form of biofeedback. But there is a metric called heart rate variability, which all it's saying is that there is a variation in how much time there is between our heartbeats. So low variation would sound like if our heartbeat was dut, 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 dut. Whereas like high heart rate variability would be like dut, 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 dut. like playing music basically what that means is our brain and heart are communicating moment to moment and they're adjusting what our body's doing based on our needs and so when it's got a high variation it means our our brain and our heart are communicating really well and it's an indicator of health heart rate variability is another way to determine if we're getting the the recovery that our body needs there's a lot of ways to read it because really all you need to get a read on is your pulse. And so I'm pretty sure a lot of modern technology, Fitbits, all that kind of stuff um, can get some type of metrics. There are also dedicated heart rate variability, biofeedback devices. Um, Feel free to Google them. Some are cheaper than others, but like if you really have the time resources and investment and want to get a good tangible metric of how your body's doing in terms of recovery, heart rate variability will give you an idea there. It also gives a good measure of like whether or not you're burned out because it's really just like how well your heart's regulating and how your brain's handling that. That's really fascinating to me because I think my, when you were describing the two heartbeats, my inclination would be to believe that the more consistent, you know, fixed rate heartbeat Mm -hmm would be the more successful one in terms of a deep sleep. It just seems like it's self-regulating. Your brain isn't putting any effort into it. And that must represent our deepest sleep. I was surprised to hear you say it actually works the other way. Maybe part of that is like, I've obviously heard the term irregular heartbeat. Right. Yeah, that throws a a wrench in it. Yeah. Yeah. So so I I obviously don't know what the term means exactly. I've heard (laughs) it. My assumption is that 
it, it just means exactly what you're describing. Your heart kind of beats outside of a normal rhythm, but you're telling me that's a good thing in the context of sleep. Yeah, there is. So there's a regular heartbeat where like your heart's skipping beats and that's a condition that doctors handle. But what really was happening is I'm not saying that people with high heart rate variability don't have large chunks of their life where their heart is beating very regularly. It's an invariant heartbeat. That tends to happen when we are wide awake or we're high stress. Whereas when we are sleeping, sometimes eating or in a deliberate engagement of recovery. And so like the two differences here are in our nervous system, we have sympathetic fight or flight. We have rest and digest, which is parasympathetic. Like the rest and digest is when our heartbeat is making these changes. And so that's why sleep's super important. Eating, digestion, et cetera, sometimes gets to that. And then practices of mindfulness, meditation, deep engagement in yoga can sometimes get at that too. And so that's why it's a good measure of whether or not we're giving our body the proper recovery because it only happens when our body is recovering. Interesting. There's a ton of questions that are kind of popping to my head from this. I I think they're primarily medical questions Mm -hmm. though. So I I don't want to really go down that road any further. Although it does bring up a thought in my mind. I wonder if at some point it would benefit us to kind of go back and think about all these type of medical things we've touched on and purposely Mm -hmm. avoided, rightly so, throughout the course of our show. And maybe there's a doctor we can get in to come in for an episode and just talk through a lot of this stuff. Someone who's a little bit more medical in tune and and appropriately qualified for discussing these things. Mm It would be nice to do like a refresher show on that topic. So I I think that's something I'm going to look into. If that sounds interesting to you as listeners, let me know. Holler at me on Twitter and our Discord if it's something you're excited about. And I'll see what I can do to make it happen for sure. Yeah. And and there's a ton of stuff we can talk about in terms of nervous system and its effects. And we could I imagine we'll we'll do numerous episodes on it, but we did. I found out after last week that people really wanted the slash nutrition in our sleep slash nutrition. Um, right. So I definitely want to get to that. And I just wanted to touch quick before nutrition on a couple reminders of setting up your sleep environment. Sure, let's hear it. Cool. So if we break it down into just three things that I was reading and listening to a bunch of sleep research, sleep researchers. What I found overwhelmingly were the top three things to consider. Um, We mentioned darkness briefly last episode. The metric that I heard mentioned was that your room should be dark enough that if you were to hold your hand out a foot in front of your face, that you couldn't see it. Wow. That is <laughs> dramatically different from the way my room is currently mine set up. Mine too. Mine too. Uh, so that's what uh, and I mentioned blackout curtains. Like yeah, I mean, this requires, this requires blackout curtains. It's yeah. not something you could achieve with any kind of like blinds or I'm thinking of ambient light. You know, I often leave a light in my kitchen on just mm-hmm. in case I do have to get up and so right. I don't bump into You don't anything. want to like stub your toe on everything in your apartment. Right. Well, I guess we're just signing up for it at this point because <laughs> yeah. that that type of darkness, you you will not be able to see anything. Yeah. So, like, if that's the gold standard, again, just think about how close you can reasonably get to that. And what I'm hearing from this is the less light, the better. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because I think back to some experiences I've had in, like, hotel rooms. Mm-hmm that have particularly good blackout environments, you know, cause they don't, they only have one window and they do have blackout curtains over the window and you wake up and you're like, Oh, what is it? Like 7am and it's 1130 or something <laughs> dramatic like that. And you know, I, I often have remarked, wow, I can't believe how well I slept. It yeah. was so dark in here. Um, but it's never something I've tried to do in my own home with the exception of when I used to work overnights and because it would be virtually daytime. I mean, not virtually, it was daytime when I was doing the vast majority of my sleeping. I needed to take a more proactive role in setting up a dark environment. And I remember, you know, this was kind of in my bachelor days. I remember just tacking things over my windows and blacking them out (laughs) so I didn't have to deal with them. Yeah. My mind went into hotels also, because I think that is the most consistent time in my life that I've actually been able to just like black out a room. Right, right. Light is one thing. Sound is another. Uh, Just 
minimize like, sound that could just like pull your attention. So white noise is really good. Fans are good. That type of consistent you know, white noise, it drowns out, etc. Not like a TV, all those kind of things. And then the the other aspect is just consistency. So I mentioned the like the eight hours of sleep thing. It, it isn't. It's not just a made up number. Like eighty to ninety percent of the population benefits from around eight hours of sleep. Some people are a little more, a little less, based on their age, their activity, like if they've been working out hard, etc. But finding a consistency to your sleep is what's going to help you over time. And so just figuring out what it is that your body needs and doing the things to actively make sure you get that. Um, if you find after a few weeks that you've like truthfully engaged in making sure there's not a lot of light, making sure sound isn't going to wake you up and making sure that you're putting consistent effort into your sleep and you're still not feeling rested or maybe if you evaluate your sleep quality it's it's still not quality that's what might start cluing you in to see if you can get a sleep study or at least consult someone else but like if you try this for three days and you're like oh my sleep sucks like it's still not working well try it for a few weeks make sure you're being consistent make sure you're taking all these things into account and then if you're still noticing that you're just not feeling rested despite all of the above it's possible there's something else that's going on. Very cool. I'm interested in any feedback listeners might have, anyone attempts to really, you know, live these principles, put them into practice in their lives. I'm interested to hear what happens for you and your relationship with sleep. I am starting to make some small changes. I don't know that I'm going wholesale. I also would have to get my wife on board, which obviously having a significant other you share a bed with complicates these things a little Mm -hmm. bit. We all have different ways we like to sleep and that certainly comes into play. But I I am interested to hear what kind of results our listeners have. So please feel free to let me know what your experience with sleep is like when you've applied all of these things. Yeah. And to tie up sleep, a really cool quote that I heard a sleep researcher say, getting at the nature that like Sleep is absolutely something we need, but we're really good at getting away. He said, if sleep was a voluntary process, then we wouldn't have insomnia, which as soon as I read him, like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, like insomnia, wouldn't, we wouldn't be worried about our inability to sleep or we wouldn't be even thinking about this idea that we get in the way of sleep if sleep was this thing that we could choose to do or not. So right. just the, the mere act of like us being focused on our inability to sleep is a pretty good indicator that our body needs it. And it's something that we want, but we just get in the way sometimes. Yeah, that's a cool quote for sure. I like that. Okay, so are we ready to transition to nutrition? I think people people, people want, want a lot it. on this topic. <laughs> yeah. It is going to be tough to meet their expectations, yeah. I believe, because there is a lot of, again, medical stuff that comes up with regards to nutrition. You know, Speaking to a nutritionist is best if you have real nutrition concerns. I I do know there are some topics that you are comfortable touching Mm -hmm. on and talking about their relationship to performance. And I definitely want to get through those today. So so why don't you do your thing and and let us know what you do know and what you are comfortable discussing in regards to nutrition. Yeah. To kick it off, slight tweak to some of your language. This goes back to like credentialing and titles. My understanding is that a there's a difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. A dietitian, right. Yeah. And so right. dietitians are like the very credentialed, there's malpractice type law stuff around it. Nutritionists are, it's less schooling and experience. That so, is excellent advice if you're seeking out the help of a professional, for yeah. sure. Make sure you know what you're getting. Regardless, get some type of advice, but know that like dietitian is... It's, I don't even know if this is a good analog or not, but I would see like them as like the, the, the clinical doctor version of it. If someone out there is a dietitian, I would love to know the, the like a, a more nuanced, eloquent way of describing the difference. But I would say seek out a dietitian if you're really looking for someone to structure how you consume food every single day. In case you're not tired of hearing it by now, like there are differences in what I know for myself and I can maybe feel comfortable telling my friends because I've been in athletics most of my life. I 
I obviously help people try to perform at their best. So, like, I have a vested interest in learning a lot about nutrition that I feel very comfortable using myself as a guinea pig for that I won't necessarily confidently, comfortably, ethically tell other people to do. So, there are a few things, like, we can get into just certain chemicals effects on performance that I think are super interesting. Overall, anything I've looked at, sugar's really bad, like added sugar, like not naturally occurring sh- sugars, so like soda is awful. And so part of this, if we just look at it in a performance context is sugar spikes tend to give us bursts of energy and then cause fatigue. And so if we're looking for consistency in what we're putting in our body, that gets in the way. Drink water. Water is really good. Your body needs lots of it. In terms of just like the food you put in your body, I'm not going to make recommendations in terms of the caloric intake you take every day. Like that is where you seek someone else to help you work out that schedule. Ultimately, if you're putting nutrient-rich foods into your body, you are eating enough based on how much exercise you have. You're eating replacement food within like 30, 40 minutes after strenuous exercise. Like, so you're just responding to your body's needs when your body has them. That is going to set you up for more success. The stuff that I'm mostly interested in is like, how do we optimize our, our cognitive functioning, our brain power? And would love to talk about that, about that. I'm not sure if anything comes to mind though, as we're just talking about this initial nutrition stuff, maybe some of your own experiences. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess I wanted to check in you mentioned soda and sugar. Do you have any information on diet soda and artificial sweeteners in terms of its effect on performance? Because obviously there's not this, I mean, at least my understanding is that it doesn't produce the same type of like energy spike that sugar does. I I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if you have any information on the effect of diet sodas and artificial sweeteners on performance. One of the first things I do when I work with esports teams is I get them to stop drinking soda, stop drinking energy drinks, and switch to like tea and coffee. Mm. I can't confidently say it's like as awful for you. I would be shocked to think or to find out that it's the best choice you can be making. That I think is pretty <laughs> indisputable. I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with that assessment. I ask because I am a diet soda fiend. Mm. I drink tons of diet soda. Honestly, it's a replacement because when I was younger, I was just a regular soda fiend. I've discussed on the show before, I used to be much heavier than I am now. When I was roughly 120 pounds heavier than I currently am, I drank about two liters to three liters of regular soda a day. And you could see why I was very heavy at that, that point. That hurts in time. my teeth thinking of that. There, I mean, it's an incredible amount of calories. It's yeah. an incredible amount of sugar. There's so many things wrong with it. And it's, it's not hard to see why I was very overweight at the time. I have replaced that with diet soda. It's certainly beneficial for my weight. I think it's got a bunch of other problems with it. And honestly, I would love to make the transition to tea. Uh, I've never had a cup of coffee in my life, so I can't comment on coffee. But some other type of caffeinated beverage is very appealing to me. And I just think diet soda is one of the most addictive substances on the planet. I have such a hard time giving it up. I've tried so many times and I've made it. I I mean, I legitimately go through withdrawals trying to give it up at this point. And I've made it through those. And somehow I always come back to diet soda. Yeah. It's like, so our body, it just responds to rewards. I mean, that's just like operant conditioning behavior, like behavioral psychology, like that is how humans work and, and food and sugars or chemicals are really interesting because they are almost immediately rewarding us for whatever we, we chose to do. And we've mentioned, or at least I've mentioned mindfulness numerous times. We're definitely going to like do a deep dive at some point, Um, but something that, I try to consider for myself and I, I found it help other people is to reflect on like what you're actually getting in the moment, moment to moment when we like put stuff into our body. And so I was actually listening to another expert on, on mindfulness and he used cupcakes as an example. And he, he has like a program with like changing eating habits. And he said like, they don't just, take away food they'll be like all right brian like here's 12 cans of diet soda 
and like drink one. Okay, well, that tasted good. Like I enjoy the taste. Maybe the, the bite of the caffeine felt good, whatever it is. All right, we'll have another and like just have numerous. And as you have each other one, like noticing that the reward you're actually getting for it, quote unquote, is like stomach pain or you feel jittery mm. or whatever it is. And I think so often we fall into these habits and the, and the chemicals, chemicals kind of do it with sugar. It's like you eat a bunch of cookies and like, well, those are really good. And let me just keep eating them. And we don't become mindful until after the fact of what we just did. Uh, and, right. and I think that's the case with all of our habits. And it, it's just like, if you could slow down and just think about like the actual immediate quote unquote reward, which is really maybe a punishment if it's like causing stomach pain or stuff like that, right. that maybe that sh- starts to shift your awareness. Sure. I mean, think about how that relates to something, a behavior like smoking, which is obviously, you know, one of the worst behaviors in for as far as performance and just general health you can possibly take on. And you start to look at it under that lens and you start analyzing, oh, what am I actually getting as a reward from this behavior? That's the type of justification that I think ultimately leads people to successful attempts right. at quitting. Uh, when you realize like, what am I actually gaining from this behavior? And there's nothing there for you anymore. Yeah. And I notice this like overall with food, again, we're not talking how much or how little you put in your body, but just like the quality of stuff that you consume. Cause I think it's more important to be healthy than to be obsessed with numbers and that kind of stuff. But one thing I find out in particular when I'm in periods of my life where I'm doing very deliberate, strenuous workouts and I'm trying to put more weight on the bar, et cetera. It is noticeable to me if I have like a pizza or something, how slow I am the next day. And oh yeah. With, with running, I see the same thing. Yeah. I, I can tell what I ate the day before. And if you're always having food that's like not nutrient rich, et cetera, you don't really notice because that's the norm. But then if you go, like if you have these bouts where you're being really calculated, you're eating good food, your vegetables, your vitamins, your your macro, micronutrients, all that stuff, and then you change it, it's so noticeable in the moment or like that day, just how slow it is. Right. And so I think if people can build that awareness once they start to make habit changes and recognize the the like reward and, and punishment or just like, wait, be, be curious about what your body's saying when you eat or drink certain things. And, and the thing that comes to my mind, I've engaged in a lot of fairly self-destructive behaviors over my lifespan, but I think about when I was in college and I used to drink a lot and you would go out, party all night, and then the next day you would just kind of go about your day. And because you were in this cycle of partying and drinking all the time, you didn't really know what it was like to have an optimally functioning <laughs> yeah. body the next day. You've just kind of accepted like, yeah. okay, this is what my body does. When you're does. like 18 to 21, so your body's like super forgiving with it too. Sure. <laughs> there's there's that too. That definitely plays into it. But I know now I if I have like four drinks in a night oh, and the next yeah. day comes nothing. and I'm devastated. And you I'm like, do How absolutely could I nothing. Right, right. Yeah. How could I possibly have lived my life under these circumstances back in the day? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yep. It's very similar feeling. Um, right. So, yeah, listen to your body, but just make sure that you're listening to your body by like, you've considered that your body wanting something might be because if like, if your body's wanting soda, it's because soda is super addictive and it craves that crap versus like... If you find you're like craving eating, I don't know, like the other day I really wanted broccoli. It's like, well, my body's probably telling me that I'm missing some nutrients that I'm going to get from this. Right. And and those are two different things. Yeah. I get that with bananas all the time. My body's like, go get a banana right now. And I'm assuming it's probably like potassium. Yeah. That's what it's looking for. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Our our bodies are smart. Like, I kind of know what's going on. For sure. One question that I keep getting asked is how do you or how do I um, handle nutrition for day long events or if you I think a lot of times when we think of nutrition we think of athletic endeavors but you know what what about cognitive function over a long period and the best answer for that is just slow burning carbohydrates so like grains 
brown rice, artichokes, beans, because what you're looking for over this could even be in a physical endeavor, but like over the span of a, a maybe a day long tournament or a weekend long tournament, just you're looking to provide your body steady nutrition instead of spikes of sugar. And so if you if you have these slow burning carbs, which I recognize that there are specific diets that like don't use carbs, please consult someone who knows what they're doing with those. But like in general, we just want like a slow, steady release of nutrients to us and energy to us instead of just a massive spike of it and then nothing else. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think a lot of the trouble comes with, I mean, you know, obviously you and I both coming from magic backgrounds, you know the difficulty <laughs> in properly feeding yourself at magic tournaments yeah. when you're in a convention center and there is no good food around. But it's kind of one of those things where we talked so much about how we take sleep for granted and sleep is just something that we do at the end of the day and we don't schedule it. Right. In the same way, we take eating for granted. Eating is this thing that when the time comes, I'm going to grab food. But you can take proactive steps to uh, make sure you're eating properly. You can pack lunches. You can have a cooler with you. I mean, these aren't the most convenient things to do, but where this is important and you want access to the type of food which both enables cognitive function and allows you to stay satiated throughout the day, mm -hmm. it can be worth taking some effort to just get that squared away. Yep. And I think another thing that people rely on in those events or just in their day-to-day -day is caffeine. And mm. I think caffeine is super interesting. Caffeine is, if used and timed properly, it's like a legal performance-enhancing drug for, for cognitive processes. If you drink or ingest caffeine 30 to 60 minutes before a workout, before performance, like we know that it increases endurance performance, it increases concentration, it increases cognitive performance. If like your body is not immune to it because you've been just drinking it nonstop. Again, when I work with like esports teams in particular, because their their performance is largely cognitive um, and they need very intense concentration for like hour long matches a lot of times. I, I have them I called it tactical tea once and it just stuck and people love doing it. But basically 30 to 60 minutes before they were going to play their first match, they would have a cup of black, green, white. There, there's different content in caffeine in each type of tea. So really just figured out which one people liked and went with that. But if you have that 30 to 60 minutes before your performance, that's about when it'll kick in. And we, we have seen in some research, increased concentration, increased endurance. So if you don't rely on caffeine all the time and you're able to use it with specific timing, that would be when I would say to use it. This is what makes me more sad about the amount of diet soda I currently drink than anything else is that I feel like I've just pounded my body with caffeine <laughs> for so many years now that it, it I literally do not feel it. I, I am incapable of feeling any effect from caffeine. And that's disappointing because like you said, it can be a useful thing. I have moved past the point of being able to access that at this point, I'm pretty sure. So you, yeah, you can lose the tolerance. Right, right. So, okay. How about, how about this? I like doing things in the, for the sake of head games because okay. I get to come back and report on it. I mentioned over in our Discord, I started marathon training. Yep. So I, I'm sure you've all heard me talk about running. Uh, obviously, it's an important part of my life, but I just kind of do so without purpose. I thought it would be fun to grab a marathon training schedule and stick to that for a while. So we're going to see how that goes. I want to talk about that way down the road. But in the immediate future... I'm going to go a week without soda and it's not going to be easy. And I'm going to be angry when I show up next week, <laughs> but I want to see if I can do a little bit of my nutrition. I want to see if I can rely on water, what my body is actually craving. And then I want to see what I can do with controlled dosage of caffeine. So I'm going to probably go through two withdrawals. The first being just the chemicals present in diet soda. The second being caffeine because I, I'm not accessing it anymore. You know, maybe I'll just try and get some tea throughout my day to yeah. minimize the crash there. Cause that's a painful one if you've ever gone through a caffeine withdrawal before. Right. Yeah, caffeine's fine. Like I would say, yeah, try making the switch to something like to your coffee. Like keep it to less than two cups a day, and that's fine. Like mm -hmm. ca caffeine is fine to use as an alertness tool if you like I 
I love coffee. Uh, I, I drink a good amount of coffee, but I don't drink it usually after a certain point. But yeah, like maybe instead of just not replacing something, just try replacing it. See if there's different teas you like or coffee. You, you don't, you've never had coffee and I think coffee is probably abrasive and you'll put like crap in it. So just just go with like tea. Well, so I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. Uh-huh. I enjoy tiramisu. I like chocolate covered espresso beans. And I used to drink espresso flavored vodka back in the day. So I don't know that I actually dislike coffee. Okay. I've just never had a cup if you of go coffee. coffee. It's one of those things. Don't put any sugar in it or okay. cream, like okay. basic milk, if anything. I'd only drink it black, and that's how I recommend it to anybody. There's no crappy chemicals. I think that would be my approach anyway. I have very little dairy in my life at this point anyway. So, uh, yeah, that, unlikely I would add any kind of heavy cream or anything like that. But, yeah, let's let's see what I can do next week. Check in with me. If you see me around in the next week and you see a soda in my hand, slap it out of my hand. I don't deserve that soda. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah, like so <laughs> Like this – even that, that process of what Brian's going to attempt to embark on the next week is – any behavior change, it starts with some amount of education just to figure out like the awareness of what you're doing now, what you could be doing better, like being aware of what's going on and then just starting to make a change. So this, this goal of replacing uh, soda, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be easy, but I'm interested to see how it goes. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I'll definitely check in with everyone next week, let you know how it goes. I want to kind of lay out our schedule for our next few episodes here. Jonathan and I have done some advanced planning. I thought it would be nice to share with everyone. We're going to get away from the polls for a few weeks. They will be back. Don't worry. We love getting feedback from everyone on what you want to hear. But we have a few episodes we really want to move through over the next month. The first of those episodes, we're going to be talking about assessing your psychological weaknesses. And Jonathan and I are going to share our own experiences and talking about how valuable it is to really see the areas you need improvement. To go along with that, the following week, we're going to talk about assessing your psychological strengths, two sides of the coin, yin and yang, you got to have the good with the bad. And we're going to talk through both. It's part of a valuable self-review process that we really encourage everyone to go through. And then the third week, three weeks from now, We're going to do an episode I'm very excited about, but it requires some prep on both of our parts. So we're pushing it out a little bit. We want to talk through some of Jonathan's all-time favorite studies in his field. So he's going to get me some reading material. I'm going to read a little bit about the studies, the experiments that have really shaped his profession, uh, his approach to what he does for a living and get some information. He's going to talk me through them. And we'll definitely share those with our listeners prior to the episode as well. So if you want to come into the episode, having read the studies (laughs) and being familiar with them, you'll have the chance to do so. So I encourage you all to stay with us over the next three weeks as we make this journey. And we'll be back next week to play some more head games. (laughs) 